Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of A Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success, or you're already smashing it, but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS, and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. So the red light's rolling. We're on about take six of trying to record this podcast. Uh, Mark Shortland's uh, joined me today, a, a good friend of mine and Maggie's. And uh, yeah, Mark is uh, the founder of a fantastic business called Shoplight. And in the last section before I cut just now, so he's going to feel real deja vu now, uh, we were talking about how Mark and I first met, which was at a birthday party in Whittlesea, of all places, I think. Um, yeah. Good fun. Do you like hanging out at kids' birthday parties? <laughs> That's a great start, isn't it? I try not to too often, only only because the injunction said that I'm not allowed to. <laughs> oh dear, I can't believe I've started with that. I can't wait for Mags and Mel to come back on that one. Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, Mark and I have known each other for quite some time, and uh, Mark has been pivotal in uh, helping me to to. Find, found, found flagship, flounder flagship. Um, I've got to get my words out right. But yeah, so uh, Mark helped me, uh, gave me the confidence to found flagship. I uh, I met Mark for a coffee when it was just a bit of a business plan, really, and um, has been an absolute source of uh, a wealth of information to help support me on the journey, having been a good sort of five years or so ahead uh, on that sort of self-employed journey. Just for the benefit of listeners, Mark, can you... Just tell people a bit about your background, how you got into uh, founding, finding Shoplight um, and setting it up. Yeah, I think um, it's probably not not a particularly fashionable story nowadays in that uh, I'd worked in the industry in which we find ourselves, which is lighting retail stores for for some national and global chains. Uh, I'd been doing it for... 15 years, something like that. And um, I, I suppose I'd got to the point where you sort of lose uh, lose enthusiasm for doing it for other people, especially when they're large multinational global businesses. And it got to a point probably where I was of an age where it's kind of now or never. So um, that's what, what drove us to go and start the business. Um, and then I think after that, of course, you, you find your passion. But I guess for younger people who often... You know, want to be entrepreneurs I never did I wanted to set up a better company than those I'd left behind mm-hmm. um, and perhaps the word entrepreneur followed later if that makes sense yeah absolutely absolutely and and how long how long have you been in uh, sort of working for oh, fuck get my words out today mate um, I think it's because I've got a cold and I'm trying not to snivel um, there we go there it was uh, I'm looking around for the tissues uh, there aren't any uh, so I'm just going to have to use my sleeves it's fine um, so how long shop light been going and what's the journey been like for you so we, we uh, started in 2014 so we're coming up to our ninth birthday in a couple of months and um, look like most businesses we started off with the brief of survival so, uh, you know, year one, right, what do we need to do to be able to, you know, remember Mel and I had four young kids and, you know, like a lot of people, all the things that come with that, with mortgage and everything else. And it was a case of, okay, what do we need to do to survive? So we set upon a figure of half a million quid of sales. Um, 
And at first it was amazing. We had a lot of old clients who decided to move with us with the new company and we did just short of a million pounds in year one. And actually what you then think is, well, this is it. You know, it, it, it cracked it, right? Yeah. Uh, but of course... I'm a hero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not quite as linear as that. So year two went really well and then you flatline for a bit and then it goes up a bit and then, of course, COVID happens and all that sort of stuff. So... Uh, it's certainly been interesting, certainly been a journey, um, but you know, I'm, I'm pleased to say now I think this year we'll, we'll do sales of about six million. Um, we're doing some lovely work, stuff I'm really proud of, and we've got some really exciting uh, innovations coming through as well. So I guess we're, we're starting sort of phase two of Shoplight really. Yeah, sound, it sounds really, really exciting. So just for the benefit of the listeners, Mark, can you tell them a bit more about the actual business itself and 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 your customers and and the type of uh, uh, situations you solve. Sure. Um, so our clients are typically high street, national, and international retail brands. So uh, we work with around forty different brands now. Um, some good solid UK high street names like um, Moss Bros and Mountain Warehouse and Mint Velvet and. Uh, you know, quite a number like that. We work internationally with Sketchers, Lego, Gant, and Claire's Accessories, uh, and then we also do flagship work for uh, brands like Dior um, and uh, and one or two others like that. So, so yeah, real mixed bag and quite an eclectic mix. It there. is an eclectic Claire's mix. Accessories yeah. along with Dior at the other end, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, and all greatly valued. So. Uh, but I, I think the important thing is that essentially we try to work with retailers who need a problem to be solved. So perhaps they haven't got the uh, in-house knowledge and expertise. And really for us, it's about filling that gap, providing the right solutions based on their budget, any architectural restraints, their branding, that kind of thing. And coming up with a lighting solution that adds great value to their stores. Ultimately, it's all about helping them sell more product. Fascinating, and I tell, I tell you what. Since uh, since I've known Mark, whenever I go shopping now, it's a bit of a different experience because I do I do look around at the lights now strangely, like a sad bastard. It's not sad at all, Pete. You can save a lot of money by looking up. I, w- I, w- I wish Mel would do it more often. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. But I, I find all sorts of horror stories, and uh, Mark will occasionally get a WhatsApp at the weekend, like, "Where's Pete shopping today? Look at this horrific <laughs> lighting display." And uh, you were quite brutal actually yeah i saw a really brutal linkedin post you were definitely the moderator for shop lighting on linkedin um the other day you uh, you posted about gym shark's new store yeah i love gym shark don't get me wrong yeah. and, and i love the fact that uh, i love what they stand for i love what they've done i think obviously he's a, a really impressive young entrepreneur and i love the fact that you've got an, a, an online retail business moving into physical retail and and i didn't want it to come across that uh, we're in any way knocking them for that. I oh, think, no. um, you know, of course, that that's important to us as a business that retail is thriving on the high streets. Um, that said, I'm not the first person to walk into Gymshark on Regent Street and be thoroughly underwhelmed. And of course, looking at the lighting, uh, frankly, it was designed by somebody who'd never lit a store before, I suspect. Yeah, so it was it was slightly tongue in cheek. Hopefully it came across a little absolutely. bit cheeky. Yeah, no, um, it was, yeah absolutely. But just to say, look, there's there's a better way. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I thought uh, it did. It did make me chuckle. So the um, obviously, I've been trying to get you on the podcast for a little while. Ever since I started a half dozen things, I've been trying to get Mark on. But um, 
timing's been incorrect, bits and pieces like that. This thing called COVID kind of getting in the way and then COVID again as like we get poorly with it and, yeah. and those kinds of things. So we've had to rain check it a few times, but I'm really pleased we have because there's something really specific that I wanted to share with, uh, with the listeners today around what's called B Corp. And uh, it's a journey that Mark's been on. How, how long have you been on the B Corp journey now, Mark? Uh, so we started our B Corp process in August uh, 21. Okay. And we became a certified B Corporation in about August 22. So it was a, a full full year's accreditation process. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, just for uh, a lot of people will probably either be scrambling for Google or maybe if they're driving, hopefully they've got their hands on the wheel. What What is a B Corp? Yeah, it's a good question. So the, the B Corporation um, accreditation started in America. Um, and essentially, it's an accreditation process for businesses that want to be a force for good. Um, so they're businesses that pursue a higher purpose other than a single-minded focus on profit. Um, so B Corps will look at the impact they have on their workers, the environment, uh, their local community and customers. And it, it's really about transforming the economy to benefit all people, the communities and the planet. So uh, we can talk a bit more about the actual process, but essentially what you've now got is over 6,000 B Corps across the globe who all have a similar kind of northern star, which is to not only pre- uh, not only be businesses that are there purely for shareholder maximisation, but are actually there to look after employees, local work, local communities, the environment and shareholders. Because I think it's important to stress shareholders don't get left out in this deal. Um, and actually, as you dig deeper, you'll find that uh, B Corp is some of the most successful businesses on the planet. Uh, they range in size. So you've got uh, at the top end, Danon are a B Corp. If you if you look very carefully at an Evian can, as they now produce their, their products yeah. in cans, you'll see the little B Corp symbol. Okay. Um, Nespresso, uh, Bo- uh, Body Shop. There's a number of really famous brands yeah, that okay. are B Corps, right the way down to single operator businesses mm-hmm. so and everything in between fantastic and what was it about b corp that really thought made you sit and think actually i want to i want to go through this 12 month process what was that yeah it's a good question peter i think um i think first of all it's important to say that it wasn't a case of waking up one day and maybe reading something about b corps thinking that'd be good uh for us in a way, we'd already been through a process, I suppose, a journey of change because I guess, like a lot of small and starter businesses, you do go through a series of steps. And as I mentioned it before, I think the first step is survival mm-hmm. and then it moves on to, to other things. And um, and actually, as you change, you find that perhaps the needs of the business change as well or what the business should stand for changes so um, when we looked at the B Corp accreditation, we actually found that really our, our goals and our values were kind of similarly aligned. Some of the things that B Corp asks of you, we perhaps already did. We, we didn't maybe have the, the formal approach to it, but we did it anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think for us, it was something that we could kind of um, fall in line with because we felt it represented partly where we were and partly where we wanted to be as a business. Of course, yeah. So what is it that were the B Corp philosophies? Um, so 
essentially, as I mentioned before, you know, B Corp has a, um, a, a kind of overall overarching ambition to transform the global economy. And it, it wants to do that by focusing on long-term value over short-term gains. So uh, theoretically, at least, if P&O, cru- uh, P&O not the cruises, sorry, the ferries, yeah. was a B Corp, then uh, it probably wouldn't have made all of its staff redundant overnight. <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't laugh. No, I know. But that's crazy. I, I can't believe I have to say it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing about this. But, uh, you know, in, that's in unbelievable, what, whenever it? it was, 2022, I think it was. It, it was it? last it year, but it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. It feels no. a long time ago. But exactly. Wow. I mean, we're talking about a company that's, that's effectively owned by <coughs> the, uh, the Dubai state government. Uh, having to break UK employment laws to lay off its staff overnight and then employ temporary staff to man its ferries and they got away with it. I mean, it's extraordinary. Mm. But um, you would argue if they were a B Corp, they would have had to look at their uh, their philosophies and their values and their legal obligations and gone, well, it might work for the shareholders, but it doesn't work for the employees, therefore we can't do it. Mm-hmm. So that's important. Um, certainly an approach of we over me and uh, justice over inequity. And, and what, what you will see with B Corps is there there is very much a community feel amongst B Corps. They try to help each other. They try to be open, honest and transparent and uh, very much try to embrace a community of business because we know that we can all achieve more together than Individually, and I think the Better Business Act is a really great example of how B Corp can kind of foster uh, the, the the bigger voice to try and change uh, mm-hmm. legislation. Got you. What what is uh, what is the Better Business Act? Mark? The Better Business Act is a coalition of businesses, not all B Corps actually, some who aren't, but mm-hmm. essentially it's a coalition that signed up to uh, lobby government for a change in the law. And that law should be that um, all businesses have to uh, assign a proportion of their um, decision-making to the rights of employees, local community, and the environment. So that, again, it doesn't mean you preclude the needs of shareholders. But as we talked about earlier with P&O, the excuse for big business to commit abhorrent acts is well, we have to look after the shareholders. That's our legal obligation. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it would still be their legal obligation, but they would also have to consider these other factors. Mm-hmm. And that's all the Better Business Act asks for, is fairness and equity, rather than allowing the legislation to provide an excuse to do mm-hmm. bad things to mm-hmm. good people. Yeah, fantastic. It's, um, it's, it's quite interesting when I hear you sort of talk about that, because... Our, our customer base at Flagship Partners are largely heavy goods fleet operators. And it's interesting because they are, they are regulated by what the traffic commissioner. So um, the traffic commissioner, the, to, to be able to operate and have an operating centre and those kinds of things, actually they have to advertise. In a, it's very old school. They have to advertise in a paper and the local community can actually challenge, uh, wow. uh, they can actually stop a... Uh, business from operating correctly and also to the point where um, if people make complaints to the traffic commissioner about the behaviour or the way uh, an operator's behaved they can call them to a public inquiry or tea and biscuits with the traffic commissioner whatever you like to call it and they're usually pretty awkward conversations yeah um, it's just quite interesting because 
It's such a highly regulated industry. And I think I think that's a great thing. A lot of people in the industry don't agree, but I think it's a great thing. And it's interesting how or the Better Business Act is kind of going, actually, we need some level of regulation here for, for businesses to ensure that they're, 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 they're morally doing the right thing. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think actually then that leads to making good decisions. And I strongly believe that, you know, we've been through 20 years of a massive drive for globalisation. And that actually, of course, it's not going to go away. I don't think anybody's naive enough to think that China or Asia, parts of Asia, won't be huge, huge contributors to the global economy. But I also feel that there's a shift, and that shift is coming back to locality, to community, mm-hmm. to businesses looking after people around them mm-hmm. and, and the extension of that. Um, and that perhaps, hopefully... Uh, there'll be a drive towards businesses considering these things and doing the right thing more than perhaps they would have done 15 years ago. But of course, as always, legislation is behind. Yeah, you know, it'll always react to what it sees rather than uh, leading from the front. And you know, we live in hope that it will catch up. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So, as a as a business, what what does being a B Corp mean for Shoplight? What do, what benefits do you get from being a B Corp? Well, we, as I mentioned earlier, really, I mean, we certainly felt that it reflected our values as a business from the get go. So, it it wasn't necessarily a case that we had to to change those values. More that we adapted and developed them to align with um, some of the elements of of B Corp. But we do believe that. You know, businesses can be successful, profitable, but also leave a positive footprint on society. And for us, it was about, uh, I suppose, having B Corp, as I mentioned, that northern star, so that whenever we make a decision, it's around the, uh, the, the benefits of B Corp, and it's around about looking at what's important under our obligations to B Corp, so that we hopefully make the right decisions. So um, we try to be a force for good in everything we do, um, whether it's workers' rights. And I can give you some examples and stuff that uh, we might have developed over, over the last 12 months. The critical thing, though, is also we've, we've adopted the B Corp mission lock. And this is really important because it's actually the legal bit that you need to adopt to become a B Corp. And essentially, uh, that's that legal obligation to consider all stakeholders of the business rather than just the shareholders. Um, Historically, it was something that B Corp considered to be a nice to have, I suppose. Um, going forward, it will be a bare minimum that you adopt that mission lock. And that does require a change to a business's articles of association. Sorry to get uh, perhaps a bit boring on it, but <laughs> this is the legal bit, right? So for, so for people, but yeah, so for people who are listening that maybe, um, in fairness, in fairness, uh, those transport managers and, and people like that that are listening, you learnt about the formation of limited companies and those uh, those kinds of things as part of your qualification. So, uh, what Mark means by the Articles of Association is those scruffy documents that well, scruffy. You actually do them online, don't you? And yeah. You probably don't even realise you're no. doing them when you when <laughs> yes. you're signing up your limited yeah, company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but they're those bits online which basically say that you will be uh, you'll you'll behave in a way. You'll behave in a way that's uh, 
Uh, well, I can't even remember what they are. In fact, you probably better tell tell me what's uh, actually in the standard articles because yeah, you've you've been looking at them. Absolutely. I mean, the, the standard articles. I, I suspect almost every company adopts as mm-hmm. the government standards, and essentially it says that you have a legal obligation to the shareholders of the business, um, which, as we mentioned earlier, is a fantastic get out clause if you want to do anything else that. Uh, that perhaps isn't of benefit to other stakeholders. You, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to cut half the workforce. Why? Well, I make more profit, and therefore my legal obligation is to the shareholders to deliver a return on, uh, as a dividend. So, um, essentially, it's a standard legal document that essentially uh, ties down the directors of the business in terms of what their legal obligations are. Fantastic. So um, it, it sounds like a really, really sort of positive thing to, to, to do. And it sounds like it's been beneficial for you. Um, what's the process been like? You, you said that you signed up for it in August 21 and it became kind of official August 22. So that was a good sort of 12 month journey. And I know that you'd have had to dedicate some resource from the business to be able to achieve that. So mm. what's the process been like for you? Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's arduous. I mean, there's there's no two ways about it. It's it's not quick. It's not easy. And hopefully that makes it all the more credible, right? It's not about greenwashing. Um, it's about making permanent change so that businesses continue to improve. But in terms of the... The, the nitty-gritty of it, it starts with what they call their impact assessment. And this is an online tool. In fact, any business can take the impact assessment uh, just to see how they fare. Um, essentially, B Corp operates on a scoring method uh, of up to 200 points. But to become a B Corp, you have to achieve a minimum of 80 points. And the average for UK businesses is around 53. So... It's quite a leap to become accredited, but you can certainly take the impact assessment, see what score you get and and consider it from there. But essentially, it breaks it down into, into sectors. Uh, so you have governance, you have employers, uh, employee rights, you have local community, you have the environment and you have customers. And within each section are a series of, of, of deep dive questions. These can be all about supply chain. They can be about uh, the rights that your employees have. Do they have uh, certain medical cover provisions? Do they have pension provisions? What hours do they work? What's the relationship between the highest earner and the lowest earner? Is there um, a minimum legislation in terms of pay? And obviously in this country there is, but not in every country. And And each question dictates a score depending on your answer it could be 0.14 of a point or Mm. 0.6 of a point or whatever it might be oh wow okay so it really does uh, go into some fine details yeah Yeah. now what it will also ask is for detailed evidence of each so if for example you were to say well we um, accredit our suppliers every year we go and visit their factories and we make sure that they uh, don't employ children and they don't tip toxic waste into the local river, then you'll be expected to prove that they don't do it and that you go and uh, check them that, wow. uh, that, that, that that sort of thing happens. So it's very detailed. Once you get to a point where you're ready to kind of submit your response, you then have a first line assessor. <clears throat> They'll go through everything that you've submitted. And at that point, you might see your, sc- your score go up and down a little bit, depending on what they find. Mm-hmm. They then ask a series of of follow-up questions, and this will be requests for more information, for clarification, 
And at that point, you're, you're assigned a senior assessor. And that will then include um, interviews uh, through Zoom or Teams, whatever, more questions, more responses, and then hopefully at the end of that, finally, you'll become an accredited, a certified B Corporation. Um, and that's when your, your score is finally... Uh... Hi, it's Pete from Flagship Partners. We're proud to sponsor a Half Dozen Things podcast. Flagship Partners help their clients become safer, greener and greater through a range of consultancy and training services. We offer audits through to risk assessments, contracts through to support with managing your culture, all the way from mandatory training through to management training as well. So if you need any support, please do get in touch with Flagship Partners today. It's interesting what you said there. You changed from accredited to certified. Sorry, um, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's just an interesting point of uh, point of clarification because I know that a lot of, you know, we help companies with accreditations, things like ISO standards and and recognition and, and those kinds of things. There, there seems like there's a clear difference there between the certification and accreditation. Yeah, and again, remember this is this started in America, so the the word certified appears far more regularly than accredited. So um, yeah, apologies. That's, uh, that's no, that's okay. It, is there is there any reason for that? Is it that they? Is it just that it's Americanized and that's the terminology they use? I think so. And uh, there there is a there is a thing <coughs> where um, I'm not sure whether whether B Corp uh, approved this or not, but you will see some companies now started to use B Corp pending on literature and social media. Um, that essentially means that they've been through the assessment process, uh, they've submitted all the information, they've had the final assessor, and they're now just waiting for the decision. Um, and typically, I suspect most will know that their score is probably about there. It may be you get one that says we're B Corp pending, they've got a score of 80.1, and then find that actually they didn't achieve it. But... Yeah, so you might see both. But B Corp pending means that they're not quite there yet, but they likely get over the line right, okay. uh, in the near future. I think, the, sorry, Peter, the last thing to say on that is that um, it is also an ongoing journey. You don't become a certified B Corp and you keep it forever. It's mm -hmm. only a three-year period and then you have to recertify. And currently B Corp is looking at its standards, tightening them up, um, there is one criticism because remember, you know, B Corps aren't perfect, right? They're, they're, they're companies that want to do better, but it doesn't mean they've cracked everything. And one of the complaints for B Corp is that you could uh, have a really great score in, say, the environment section, but a really poor score in workers' rights, but still get to the 80 points. Great. And what B Corp are going to do is level that off and say there are now minimum standards in every category, and if you don't hit one of those, it doesn't matter how well you do in the other four, you can't become a B Corp, which I think is a positive step. Yeah, that makes that makes yeah. absolute sense, yeah, yeah, because you don't want... Essentially, I guess, you're heavily invested in this, as are the other B Corps, mm. so... Um, there is uh, there is a requirement, I suppose, as a as a community for you want to maintain high standards, very and, much, so, and, and yeah. make sure that the right companies are in the in, are yeah. certified. There there are um, there are a number of examples where B Corp has taken some criticism. I think uh, if you look at Nespresso, they are regularly held up as part of the problem with B Corp. I mean, ultimately, Nespresso's products come in foil capsules, little metal capsules. And uh, as I understand it, a large chunk of them are not recyclable. So you end up in a situation where most of their, uh, 
product goes to landfill and yet they're a B Corp. So, so you can understand where that criticism comes from. Mm. Equally, um, I suppose Brewdog is quite a famous example as well. If anybody follows the story of James Watt and the BBC, uh, it was quite a contentious documentary they did on the mm. founder of Brewdog. Um, but following the allegations of that, B Corp launched an investigation into Brewdog and actually turned around and said, we're happy to leave you with uh, as a certified B Corp. But the board had to give some um, commitments in terms of minimum standards and actually Brewdog declined it so they surrendered their B Corp no, no. Uh, certification they're no longer a B Corp so um, but but actually that, that gives you confidence as a B Corp because you think it's, it's not for every company and if there are companies that say do you know what what you're asking of us ties our hands a little bit we're not happy with that yeah. then that's good yeah. you know you need you need that that minimum standard to uh, to, to ensure you 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 keep uh, credibility in the process. Absolutely. And just to maintain my credibility, Mark, Mark's just laughed at me. So I've got such a runny nose. I've had to use my sleeve. I've not had any option. So, uh, yeah, horrific. Um, yeah, uh, I think Brewdog, Brewdog's a funny one. I really need to watch that documentary, actually, mm. because uh, I listened to him. I was away in Mexico, and I listened to uh, James. It's James Watt, isn't it? it? Is, yeah, yeah, James Watt. I listened to him on uh, Diary of a CEO. And uh, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. I thought it was a fascinating story. And I've got a lot of friends who are really into Brewdog and, yeah. you know, they're punks or whatever yeah, they call yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah, I mean, as you know, Pete, I'm not a, not a big beer drinker. No, but, um, no. I, you know, I actually, I on a personal level, I quite like him. I think he's found a lot out about himself mm. and uh, has no doubt made lots of mistakes along the way. And, and perhaps, you know, there are, there are victims of James's behaviour who shouldn't be forgotten in all this. Um, but that said, I also think that the BBC's documentary was a bit of a hatchet job. They, they knew what they wanted to say before they even started rolling. Mm. So mm. anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So um, the, the fifth area we wanted to talk about was what are the, what are the benefits of being a B Corp? What, what is it that you're seeing from, from being part of the community? I think it's um, it, what's really fascinating about B Corps is that uh, in many ways it commits businesses to some pretty high minimum standards. But interestingly, most B Corps will report some really positive impacts such as higher staff retention, um, attracting staff in the first place, especially if you're in the market for a younger generation. Uh, in terms of profitability uh, and frankly in terms of marketing uh, benefits so uh, it's an interesting one in that I think probably a lot of people look at it and go uh, okay well you know I've got to look after workers more and therefore perhaps that will hit my profitability and yet uh, the data shows that B Corps go on to be more profitable uh, despite making those commitments and actually sure that's great for those businesses but it's also great for society because uh, if those businesses become more profitable, hopefully it demonstrates to, to local and global businesses that you can do the right thing and still be profitable. Mm. You don't need to treat people badly to to earn money and pay dividends. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we'd certainly love to see more businesses becoming B Corp certified. I think it would result in some pretty big improvements for people and the planet. I do think it's important to stress, though, you know, it, it's not... It's not just a badge, and if you if you can't pursue it honestly and commit to real benefits and change, then it probably isn't for uh, every business. Mm-hmm. So, 
Look, we know that more and more consumers are looking for brands that have ethical and sustainable credentials. And I think that is central to being a B Corp. Um, we certainly as a business have employed some uh, some younger people, you know, early 20s in, in recent months. And the feedback we get from them is that actually what attracted them to apply for the job in the first place was the B Corp certification. Oh, wow. yeah. So, um, of course, you've got to... You, you've got to follow it up, right? You can't just stick the badge on and then they turn up and you, you know, maybe you don't treat them very well. But so that's important. But interestingly, it matters to a younger generation who are perhaps looking at career choices or companies to work for. So I think that's that's important. Um, the other the other benefits, hopefully, uh, I mentioned it before, is it comes through staff retention. Um, in that, we, there's lots of things we do for our business. Shall I give you some examples? Would that be Go for kind it. of helpful? So, Go for it, yeah. um, so as a business, we always had a a uh, bonus scheme. So, depending on how the company performed in a year, the directors would determine how much that went to uh, the employees. But for example, that's now formalised. So, when people join our business, they know that. Seven and a half percent of our net profits go into a bonus pot that is then divided out across all staff, depending on the hours they work and uh, whether they've been there for the whole financial year or not. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a commitment there to say that you know, as a business, this is what we do. It's not it's not up for grabs. It's not you know down to a director to change the playing field and all that kind of stuff. Right? It's there. Um, <clears throat> we also ask all of our staff to volunteer for a minimum of two days a year but not in their time in our time so mm-hmm. they'll go and either find their own charitable cause that they're particularly passionate about or we'll help them find a charity that uh, that they can help out and we ask them to do two days paid volunteering every year to give something back and what's amazing is the feedback you get from that mm-hmm. you have people some who love the idea, right? They, they're probably extroverts. They love the idea of going out and helping a charity. And then you get the introverts who can't think of anything worse mm-hmm. than going to join a group of strangers to help them for half a day or a day. <clears throat> and they're the ones who get the transformational effect. They're the ones who come back and go, that is so rewarding. Love it. Can't wait to go again. Yeah. Um, so... It's really interesting, and I think ultimately, you know, these things feed back into your brand, right? You get a reputation amongst your your uh, employees that hopefully makes them think this is a great place to be. Um, so yeah, lot, lots of, of, of other bits and bobs on there. We have things like uh, an emergency loan fund. So if one of our, our team's boiler breaks tonight, and you know they they perhaps have a choice of sticking on a credit card or. Uh, or perhaps asking the the business to lend it to them, then the business will, um, in line with the you know all t- all kind of tax regulation. So mm-hmm. there's there's other benefits that hopefully they feel like the company stands behind them, mm-hmm. and perhaps in return they do the same um, as Fantastic. well. I think as well finally on the benefits, there's also that point about um, it be it, you know let's let's be realistic. It's also good for marketing and. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, we, we now work with a number of clients who are also B Corp. So uh, Jojo, Mama, and Bebe, who are the, the the children's wear retailer. They're now owned by Next, but I think they they've got uh, nearly a hundred stores uh, across the country. How long how long did you have to practice in the yeah, mirror to say that? A while, a while. <laughs> 
Um, so they're, they're a B Corp and, and actually one of the dry, the, the key decision drivers for them to switch from their previous supplier was the fact that, that uh, at the time we were, we were B Corp pending. Um, and we just started working with uh, a Dutch brand called Ace and Tate. They're an opticians brand opening stores across the UK. And again, there are B Corps. One of the things that attracted them was being able to work within the community of B Corps to, uh, to to help deliver their stores. So, uh, no two ways about it. It's good for business too. Yeah, fantastic. I think uh, it's really interesting to hear that you've benefited from other people, and and I, I guess that you, you're demonstrating or walking the talk that you've reached this standard, so that people. Uh, you know, decision makers in other businesses will know that they're that you're a safe bet. It just gives that extra bit of uh, trust. Yeah. Trust's so important in business, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I certainly hope so. And, and sometimes it raises more difficult questions. You know, there was a period. Um, this was before we started the the, the B Corp uh, process, but we started working with one of these high street, or we were offered the chance to work for one of these high street uh, kind of casino brands. Do you know the sort I mean, up and down I, the high street? I know exactly what you mean. So you, one of the, the um, got all the one-armed bandits yeah. and it's sort of like open all night. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and really sort of preys on the vulnerable potentially. Yeah, exactly. I mean, very, very high profit levels, mm-hmm. um, massive returns on investment. And so they were keen to open as many of these as possible. And we got approached to say, you know, would we work as the... The lighting supplier. Now um, we actually made the decision that we would, um, and that's based on the fact that it was it, it's legal. Mm-hmm. Okay, nobody's breaking any law. But we also made the commitment that any profit that we earned from that work, we would donate to a gambling charity. Amazing. So our idea was was that perhaps we could turn uh, our, our kind of um, you know our moral worries i suppose in terms mm-hmm. of aiding that industry into something for good so um we made that decision to to do that okay and do you, do you work with no uh, to, that, yeah to, to kind of bring that full circle uh, yeah. they're actually german owned and mm-hmm. the german parent company decided to take control back of uh of all their suppliers and so decided that the uh, future suppliers would all be german which, oh, okay. uh, which is fine. So that took took the question out of our hands, didn't it, a little bit? But <laughs> yeah. I'm proud of the team. We, you know, we sat there as a, as a group. I think there were probably 14 of us at the time. And mm-hmm. we sat there as a group and said, what do we want to do? You know, do we want to do the work in the first place? And if we do, how are we going to square this off for ourselves? And that was the decision that we came to. So I'm proud of us for, for yeah, doing fantastic. that. Yeah, fantastic. I think um, I think it's fascinating that you know, you, you, you've got so many people now uh, I think is it 20 in the team 20 yeah, about plus that. 20 yeah. plus yeah. Um, you know you two days of charitable giving a year or volunteering a year from, from the team that's you know, starting to probably have some really big impact locally in the community yeah I, I think so yeah it, it, like I say it's a, a real cross section of of uh, charities that, that get help um, mm. Care Zone uh, here where, where we are in, in Fengate they get a fair bit of our time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I donate my time to um, Young Enterprise, which is a charity that helps uh, sixth formers, I suppose, at, at, at uh, secondary schools to learn about business. So they get the opportunity to set up their own business, develop a brand, and they look for mentors to come and help each team each year so that hopefully they can uh, steer oh, them in the right. right direction. So and actually, you know, I love it. It's great, really rewarding. 
Mm. So a real cross-section of, of stuff that we do. Um, and then that feeds back into the, the donation side as well. We commit as a business to uh, 2% of our net profits minimum to charities uh, each year. And I think this year we're supporting Macmillan and Embrace, who are the most amazing charity that help um, child victims of crime. Mm. Fascinating. How do you decide on who to help? Uh, in, in, in this year's case, we, we put it to a vote for our employees. So uh, we asked everybody to nominate uh, a, a kind of national charity and then a smaller charity. We wanted one of each size. Uh, and once we got the nominations in, we then put it to a vote. And it was Macmillan and Embrace who came out the winners this year. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in future years. You know, there's something lovely about helping a smaller charity, I must admit. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah so the, the the team will decide who we help each year. And then occasionally we'll, uh, we'll do other things on the side, as it were. So uh, we recently became a corporate sponsor to uh, an organisation called 2020 Change, who help um, uh, black youths avoid gang culture. So they essentially mentor them through to employment uh, to give them another way, another pathway oh, in their life. Yeah. They only operate in London, but um, an amazing charity. Yeah, fascinating. I think it's always hard to find, it's always hard to know who to support, isn't it? I think it's yeah. always a challenge. And I find it tricky with nationals, or my perception of nationals is that you kind of fall into this big hole of... of Donations that, yeah. that you, you wonder what impact they've had, and it's it's not very heartwarming to uh, support local local charities as well. Yeah, I think you're right, and, and I suspect that some of the really big charities are probably awash with cash. Mm. Uh, I suspect at least part of the year, and uh, I suppose it's about how you can make more impact through what you've got to give um, and particularly locally I think we talk about B Corp and we talk about local community you know I think for us we're everything's a journey right Pete so we're, we're we're working this out as we go but I think we're coming to the conclusion that actually we're a business that isn't the biggest won't ever be the biggest but but serves clients nationally and sometimes internationally but is a local employer and as part of that we should do everything we can to probably support our local community first and if that's through charitable donations on a smaller level then mm. then I, I think we're comfortable with that fantastic excellent so what does what does the future hold mate what are we what are we what are you looking down the line what, what are you looking for i think um i think the great thing about uh b corp again i'm so apologies for keep saying this but that northern star right it, it guides your decision making process and one of the things that uh, th that strikes us is that we are a, a bit of a, a bit of a conflict in the sense that the products we supply are, are energy saving devices right so they're LED light fittings and typically they're saving energy each time you take out a traditional light source fluorescent or halogen, whatever it might be, and put in an LED. But at the same time, they have an environmental impact. Uh, and in particular, there's a trend in the lighting industry to move lower cost commodity products to Chinese production. And of course, what comes with that is when you start shipping these bodies from China into Europe and then onto the UK, um, most of their carbon emissions come through production and transport. Mm -hmm. So um, we set upon a, a task about 12 months ago 
to develop a product that uh, is produced locally and is actually made from bioplastics. Now, it's um, a very big challenge because uh, heat emissions, which you get from, from lights, can cause uh, issues in terms of um, dissipating heat and all that kind of stuff and component damage. So at the end of February, we're going to a trade show in Germany called Euroshop, where we're going to launch our first ever uh, bioplastic product. And what we very much hope is that the future model can be where you're able to produce locally to the retail store. So imagine if we were doing a, I don't know, a Lego store in Berlin, and actually the products can be made close to Berlin. So all that carbon that's produced through transportation is essentially removed. Um, so we've got we've got some goals and that sort of thing, but also working with our current products. You know, they're they're not bad in essence, mm-hmm. and it's about us refining them and making sure they're more and more energy efficient as we go as we go along. So from a from a kind of technical point of view and a company point of view and a product point of view, there's lots and lots we want to achieve going forward. Um, in terms of us as a business, we want to give more to charity. We want to help our employees more. We want to keep pushing the, the boundaries of what we can and can't do for people. Um, and, uh, and we've got lots of plans in terms of trying to make those improvements. Fascinating. Absolutely brilliant. I think... Um I'm a bit blown away, to be honest, because it's uh, it's just a very different way of thinking, I suppose, to uh, what I've been used to. Uh, I've got one final question for you, which is a little bit left field. So, a lot of our a lot of our listeners are, are fleet operators mm. and um, in varying varying positions within those organisations. So, this whole ethos I I know from experience is sort of quite new to to, to a few of them, and obviously. We're big carbon producers in our industry. What if you were to head up a, a big fleet operator? What sort of thing would you be looking to do to uh, align more with with a B Corp B Corp ethos? Yeah, so it's a really good question, and you have to accept that my knowledge of the transport sector is uh, frankly non-existent. But <laughs> taught um, you everything. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what I would say is that. There are clearly limitations within technology, right? Uh, you know, we, we only operate two vans, but we're desperate to move to electric vans. But we do accept that the range just isn't there to enable us to take goods from Peterborough to Glasgow and come back again without running the gauntlet of finding chargers, right? So we accept that you can only operate within the technology available. So if I was that person operating a fleet, I would try to look at other areas where I can make those improvements, such as what else can I do for my drivers? How can I make their lives easier? How can I make their lives more sustainable? What can I offer them by way of a package? Could it be that uh, there's something I can do that actually helps their families while they're away doing long distance deliveries, for example? Um, Of course, you can also offset that carbon. So uh, I'm slightly nervous of some of the schemes that claim to plant trees and and don't. Um, so I think finding a good carbon offset uh, business is really important if you're going to go down that route. Um, but then, yeah, I think it's more about doing those things and taking those small steps. And then perhaps it comes down to, I'm sure your, your customers do this already, but, you know, is there a way they can talk to their clients about minimizing the number of drops a week mm. to minimize the impact on the environment without perhaps reducing the service level that they yeah. deliver so 
for me, it'd be those sorts of approaches. And remember, each step is important. And it can be a tiny step. Okay, we're not mm. going to solve all these problems overnight. But I think as a collection of businesses, the first most important thing is the philosophy and making sure that the mindset is there to be a force for good. Yeah, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I think um, the, 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 this interview and discussion has been really timely. So the podcast before uh, that people have listened to, hopefully, uh, obviously people coming to listen to this because you've drawn them to it, well, obviously this will be the first time, but the, the, the regular listeners who uh, will have just heard from a guy called Darren Newman who runs a company called Low Carbon Truck, and he... Ah. He focuses his business on looking at alternative fuels and looking at decarbonising uh, fleet operators. And um, we're, we're looking to launch as a joint project, um, which is something that I'm really excited about, what's called uh, the Carbon Literacy Training for Fleet Operators. So, Fantastic. Um, it's a bit of a move in the direction our vision is around making, making our clients safer, greener and greater. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully that offering is going to help support that. So it's really fascinating to hear more about B Corp, Mark. So thank Great. you very much for joining us no today. No problem. Thanks, Pete. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope listeners have really enjoyed that. Um, if you want to find out more about Mark or Shoplight, then have a look at Mark Shortland on LinkedIn. And uh, what's your website, Mark? So it's www.shoplight.lighting. Perfect. Thank you very much, Mark, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. I really hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmer. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners. And we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.